Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4 and verse 23 will be our text this morning. But also I want you to turn in your bulletins and your information there to our Vision 2020, our challenge. I just want to go over this because this is what our series has been about and also explain a little of the 2020 celebration that's going to happen on the 20th. Uh, we've talked about it, we looked at it, it's kind of been floating around, but I just want to walk through this just quickly to let you know what we're asking those of us together to commit to. If you see the list there in your bulletin, it's seven things. Really, these seven things include the, the five things that every church member should be expected to do, and that's praying together, attending regularly, giving financially, sharing the gospel, uh, being in a life group, and serving. All of those, if you've been through our new members class, are the five things that we talk about that are expectation of every member. So what we're asking or what we're committing to is really nothing new. But what we are asking over the next three years is for us to commit together to have our lives be about the Great Commission in these areas. Pray, praying, praying together for lost people, for our communities, and for the power of God amongst us. To be committed in a life group and to be serving together regularly uh, in connection with one another. To commit to invest in one person to share the gospel with. This is meaning building a relationship with one person, and it could be more than that. Hopefully it's more than one person. But a commitment to say, I'm going to be building a relationship for one, with one person to invest in them so that they might come to know Jesus. Imagine what our lives and our community would look like if we take that seriously. To invite people regularly to church. There's many times throughout the week that we have opportunities that we brush up with the God-ordained moments and we don't invite people to church. And every statistic tells us that even the most ardent people against Christianity in our community would accept an invitation from a friend to attend church. So for us as a great commission to hear, have someone come hear the gospel and be around brothers and sisters in Christ is important. To serve in a new area. If you're serving in some place, what other area can you serve in? Or what area should you be serving in? So we encourage you to serve in a new area. Uh, also, we are, we are asking if you're physically able to participate in a missions trip. Now, we're saying that this missions trip is wide-ranging. It could be across the river to Cincinnati. It could be a part of a, of a missions team across to the school. It could be a missions team across the globe. But if we're going to be Great Commission people, we've got to be on mission. So we're asking people to commit to that. And of course, giving financially, which is a regular call of a committed Christian. We're going to ask you on two Sundays to commit to these things. And we ask you to commit to at least five of these things because I think five of them are something every believer should be doing anyways. But this is a commitment to one to another and to the Lord at this body and of, of Hebrew and Baptist Church that we do it. Now here's, hear this because I know that what the talk is because we can't control the talk, but people talk. Uh, but if you don't want to commit to it, it's okay. It's okay. Because I would rather have people that say their yes be yes and their no be no. I don't want you to be encouraged or uh, feel like that you're being manipulated or feel like that you need to, to, to do something just because it, it, we've asked you to do it. But we want you to feel committed to God's church and the Great Commission to do this. 
And so if your yes is yes and you want your yes be yes, we will welcome you to commit together. And if it's five people, then those five people are going to be committed to the Lord. And if it's 250 people, then praise God as well. But we want us together to commit to something special for the next three years and see what God will do here at Hebron Baptist Church. Last week we looked at the importance of one of these challenges in being in life group together. And today we're going to continue and seeing the power and the importance of Great Commission Christians as we pray together. And that's number one on our list. And look, as someone said, praying is free and praying can happen all the time. As Christians, we should always be praying, right? Well, let's look at what God does through those who are committed to the Great Commission and praying together as we look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. It says this, After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they all raised their voices to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. And you said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place that they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. Let us pray. God, we ask you this morning as we have come to your word that not by guilt or by pressure, but by the words of your Bible that does not return void, change hearts and minds this morning, that we would see and be committed prayers as your people, that we would pray for your power among your people and your power that is mighty to save, win the lost for you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. A mother took her son to the grocery store, and this boy loved cookies. And so the mom thought she'd do a little pre-grocery store, I don't know, uh, talk with the boy and said, son, I want you to know that no matter what, you're not going to get, we're not buying cookies today. So I don't want you to ask, I don't want you to think about it, we're going to go to get our grocery store list, and we're going to get out of here. Well, that worked for a little bit until they passed by the cookie aisle. And the little boy was, just couldn't help. Mommy, can I please have some cookies? And the boy said, no, sweetie, we talked about this, no cookies. And a little bit further, the boy, when they tried to shop, the boy said, Mommy, I've just been thinking about it, so please can I get some cookies? Mom said, son, I told you, we've talked about this, no cookies. So after a while, a couple asked, they were heading towards the checkout, and they were almost there, and the boy said, this, I I could imagine, this is, he's thinking, this is his last chance 
So he stood up in the grocery cart and said, Mom, in the name of Jesus, can I have some chocolate chip cookies? Well, everybody stopped and applauded. And actually, because of the kindness of people shopping, the boy left with 23 boxes of cookies. Now, that boy knows something, the same that as us Christians know. That power in the prayer and the name of Jesus is important. But it's not about what you ask, but who you ask. And the good thing that we have learned as we talked a couple weeks ago about the power of prayer in the life of a believer is that it is God's gift to us. Those who have been saved and who have been born again, that the Holy Spirit resides in us, we know that prayer is vital to our lives, but it's also special to our lives because as a believer, our prayers can be heard. We are assured that God in heaven hears our prayers. And not only that, but we have learned that the Holy Spirit and Christ himself prays with us. So it is the gift of God that we have prayer. And it has been determined in Scripture that the mission of God, the Great Commission, was not done through human ways, human strategy, or human know-how, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and the lives of the believer. Therefore, if we agree with that and we know that, how vital it is that prayer is important to both believers, members of the church, and the church gathered together. If we were to, and I did this for a paper, if you go through the book of Acts and and you see the list, I'm not going to do it this morning, I know you're worried about that. Uh, If you go through the book of Acts and see where prayer was a link through the entire book, For the gospel to get through the Holy Spirit coming upon them in the beginning of Acts to the ends of the earth, you could link how vital prayer was to this happening. And therefore, it was vital then. It is certainly vital now. And the importance for us to understand as members of a congregation, we must be praying if we want to be Great Commission people. The problem is, many of us, Members and believers rarely, powerfully pray together. It has been said that if you want a big crowd at church, you offer food. If you want to break a record for smallest crowd, you call it a prayer meeting. The reality is that we do not gather together to pray in a powerful way. And the, the, the importance is, here at Hebron Baptist, if we want to make disciples who make disciples, here in northern Kentucky and around the world, we need the Spirit of God. We need the power of God, and it comes through prayer, and prayer must be a priority. Now, we must pray together, but when we pray, it can't be just about Aunt Edna's bursitis. Even though that's important and the Bible tells us to bring all things to him in prayer, we must powerfully pray for the, for the presence of God. See, the people of God must seek the presence of God and call for the power of God to change others' lives. And that means that we would have to sacrifice time coming early and praying together. It means praying when you're uncomfortable too and and purposefully praying for God to do something in the hearts and minds of people. I think the worst thing that has happened in this country is not that they removed prayer from schools. 
but that Christians removed prayer from their lives. You see, if it was all about a place, Christians would make it a priority. If it was just about going somewhere, Christians would pray. It wouldn't be that they were barred from the schools. They would be meeting in the parking lots and praying every day for the students and teachers to come to know the Lord. If it was about praying, it would be praying in, in places publicly and together and in neighborhoods for our lost friends and family. It would be life groups gathering together and adopting neighborhoods, walking and praying together praying for the lost in our community. It would be people gathering together in prayer rooms at all times, praying for the presence and power of God. It is prayer that is most important, but it is prayer that is the most missing in the lives of Christians. And I don't want you to feel today to say, well, the pastor just made me really feel guilty about praying or he stomped on my toes and made me feel bad about it. My prayer is, is that you, through the Spirit of God, through his written word, would realize and be challenged that prayer is vital to our individual lives, but our collective lives as a church. The Great Commission churches pray for the lost when they're together and when they're in prayer in their prayer closets daily. So my passage, or the, the understanding of our passage today, is to understand a prayer that moves God. And we see this moment in the disciples' life where the, the, the walls and the place was shaken because of the approval and power of God. What makes that happen? Now, when I say it moves God, it is not an emotional, though God is an emotional God, joyful and happy and angry. He was moved in pleasure of the obedience of believers. And how can we pray in this way? Well, in this passage, there are three elements to a prayer in which we experience the presence and power of God. Number one is this. It is a prayer that trusts the power of God. A prayer that trusts the power of God. Verse 24, it says, When they heard this, they all raised their voices to God and said, Master, You are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and all the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Now let's just set the stage a little bit. If you want to know, we kind of jumped into the end of the story. So let me tell you the beginning of the story. In Acts chapter 3, we see that Peter and John went to the temple and at the Solomon's Colonnade, a place in the temple, that there was a beggars there. And as they went by, one of the beggars who was a lame person since birth was healed by Peter and John. In that moment, people were amazed because here's this guy who couldn't walk since birth and they all knew him because he was always there asking for help. They all knew him. They could proclaim and say, this is a miracle. They were astonished. And Peter and John used the opportunity to proclaim the gospel message and to preach about Jesus. Well, the Sadducees, who were not very excited about that and don't like that these healings are going on, called them and had them arrested and taken to the high priest for these dealings. Now, amazingly, even when this happened, the scriptures tell us that because of their preaching, thousands were saved because of this. So despite what happened, 
God's word was powerful and faithful. But in this trial, in this trial, they thought, well, hey, we're going we're gonna to ask them what they did. And they just said, hey, look, the name of Jesus, the one whom you crucified, is the one who saved this person. And the, the truth is here before you. Well, the reality was they, they knew it. They knew him, and they knew this was not some trick. So they really felt like they had nothing to stand on. So they just scoldly said, don't speak about Jesus anymore, okay? And then this great line that Peter says, no matter what you say, we can't help but talking about Jesus, our Lord. And even though they encouraged them some more, threatened them with more uh, prison time, threatened them again, and said, don't do this, they released them. And so this is where we find ourselves. We find that Peter and John had come back to the other disciples and the other believers, and they had heard what had happened. And as they heard what happened, they wanted to go to God in prayer. The first thing wasn't to to do an online um, pledge fund. It wasn't to make up T-shirts or bumper stickers, but to go to God in prayer and ask Him to make them more bold. Isn't this amazing that they just didn't stop and say, okay, God, we're going to just figure out a new strategy. We're get, it's getting a little tough. No, they actually went to God and said, we want to become more bold. So how does this prayer come to us as something that experiences the presence and power of God? They trusted the power of God himself. They cried out. In, in my version, and maybe in your version, it says master, but the word act means actually absolute master. It's a word that is very rarely used in the New Testament, mostly used in the Old Testament, but it signifies that God is the absolute master and creator of the universe. He is the one in whom all things flow together. And and sarcastically, it is saying, they quote Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Uh, Proverbs 2 is a messianic psalm that was written and inspired by the Holy Spirit to David, which shows that even first century, very new church believers believed in the uh, inerrancy of Scripture because they knew that Scripture was not brought about by man, but of God. And so when they quoted this, they they said, who could defeat this true Messiah? They talked about the Gentiles' rage. They're plotting against this Messiah, but who could come against them? In other words, what they were saying sarcastically was, There is a master of all creation, the Messiah, the creator of the world. Who and what army is going to defeat him? Who and what army and nations and peoples can come against our God? And what happened in their prayer was that they solidified and focused the power of their prayer on the power of God. Not on their abilities, not on their thinking, but on the trustworthy nature of God. And the reality is our prayers must be founded in God's power. I feel like that so many of us have a wanting prayer life because we don't experience the power of God because we never tap into it. The other day I was at a restaurant and there was someone having trouble with their meal or what was going on. And uh, they were talking to this person and, and they, they were just really frazzled about it. And, and they went up to this person, they were talking and they said, I need you to hear me and I need you to do this. Are you the manager? That's what they said. Are you the manager? And they said, 
yes, well, actually, I am the manager. How can I help you? And you could kind of see this relief go off them because they realized this was the person they needed to talk to. This was the person who had the ability and the power to change their circumstance. Friends, for us, we are crying out to the God of the universe, the one who hung the moon in orbit, who put everything in place, who put the billions and billions and trillions and zillions of stars and hung them up and thinks that they are nothing. This same God is the God that we put our, our faith in, that puts our trust in, who puts our concerns in, the one that we know who can change our circumstance, but most importantly, that we can trust our lives with. And it is this God in whom we pray, and it is this God in whom we place our prayer. Charles Spurgeon, who depended on prayer in much of his ministry, said these two great things about us knowing the power of God in prayer. He said, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise or a vocal performance. It is a spiritual commerce with the creator of heavens and earth. And then he said, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Brothers and sisters, if we want to see people changed in the power of God, if we want to see people, lives and hearts changed from being out of darkness and into light and being saved, it is the one who has that power we must call out to. It is that one who is sovereign in engaging lives and engaging the world and engaging history that we must depend on. Does your prayer indicate and show that you have trusted and are relying on the power of of a mighty God. Someone said, once said that it is not the size of the request, but the size in whom the request is given. Do you come to God expecting big things? Do you bring requests with confidence and assurance? Do you pray trusting in a powerful God to change lives and change people in by His salvation? If you trust in His power, then certainly you can trust in his plans. And that's number two. They prayed, and prayer that changes the world and experiences God's power is a prayer that trusts in the plans of God. A prayer that trusts in the plans of God. Verse 27, it says, For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant whom you anointed. Do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Here, as we see them praying together, they placed all their trust and ability and power in the hands of God. And so, therefore, the next thing was to say, God, we are trusting in your plans. And whatever your plans has for us, we will obey. Look at the confidence in which they prayed, knowing that God was in control of their circumstances. As they had prayed, just as Peter and John were released from prison, released from authorities, they could have said many different things. God, please, never again let this happen. Uh, God, please never again may your church be under such scrutiny. God, never again may this happen. But listen, they knew they were in the midst of something that was going to change their lives. As a matter of fact, this was just the beginning. Peter and John's first trial was going to make way for their next trial in the next chapter. 
And then in the stirring of the midst of this and of their testimony, we learn later on that this priest guy named Saul was fired up because these Christians were talking about a resurrected Jesus, started putting believers to death. Now, we know what happened to Saul, right? He met Jesus and was changed forever. But it is the reality that happened in the first century and continued to happen and is still happening in this day that believers who proclaim Jesus are put, being put to death all across the globe because they believe in the resurrected Jesus. And these believers in the first century prayed with steadfast conviction because they knew they were going into persecution. And it says that consider these things, God. Just consider them. Just, just think about them, Lord. They prayed knowingly, trusting in the sovereign plan of God. That if it meant trials, tribulations, persecution, they knew that God's plan was more important than their plan. That it was the proclamation of the gospel that was more important than their safety and their security. And some people say thinking this way is surely fatalistic. Thinking this way that, that surely this kind of understanding of God and his plan leads to defeated and defeatism of Christians. However, those Christians show that it's not fatalism, but their trust in the God of history whose plan is always perfect and victorious. They trusted that God, who was pushing all things to his glory and for our good, that we were trusting in him, just as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, If you can remove this, do it, God. But if not, your will be done. Do we trust in the plans of God in this way? Do we pray knowing and asking God to use us with boldness, trusting in his plan, no matter how hard it will be, no matter what persecution will come? Does this mean that we can't say, Lord, don't remove it? No. But we pray knowing this, that no matter what happens, we trust in a good and loving God because he has promised us in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, I will be with you as you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched as you walk through the fire and flame will not burn you. Listen, brothers and sisters, we know the life of a believer means persecution and trial. Read the New Testament. And it's all going to get all the more. And even more importantly for us as believers, are we preparing the next generation to go even more into persecution? You see, I just want you to, hopefully soon we will be able to watch together as a church the movie Insanity of God. It's a movie put out by International Mission board based on the book by Nick Ripkin. He is one of the missionaries overseas. And his role with the IMB and others was to work within the persecuted church. And it is eye-opening to see the work of the missions and missionaries and believers in the world that we don't get to see and is never covered on the evening news. 
Uh, I got the chance to see this up in Cincinnati. They only had two night showings of it uh, here in the fall. And, and, and it is amazing. We hope to show it one Sunday night or sometime that we can do that. But there was a moment in that as he went up to churches in China. Of course, the church in China has been driven underground and, and they meet in secret locations and secret places as he met with local believers, about a hundred or more in a certain unmarked area of China. Uh, they had dialogue to find out what was going on. This is how dark and away from the world they were because of the government-controlled media and, and pushing them down. They asked this question, which was amazing to me. Has the gospel gone to other people other than us in China? Can you imagine? We as believers have this awesome knowledge that the gospel is sweeping the world, but for them, they were just being faithful, thinking that they're the only ones that knew. And one of the things that he learned, that he said, it was when they were talking about, as they raised up pastors and church leaders, he said, they said, brother, we don't trust any pastor who's not been in prison because it means that their faith has not really been public. We don't trust any pastor who's not been in prison for three or more years. And they said, well, I can't believe that. He said, look, prison is our seminary. In prison, there are believers that share the gospel. In prison, there are people who are being provided to say, I trust in God with no matter what with my life, I'm going to proclaim his gospel. And then he shared with them how the power of the people, every morning they would gather together before the sun rose and would pray for their brothers and sisters who were being persecuted and trusting in God. We know God is with us and he's using every trial for us. And maybe God will use our trials to get that self-centeredness out of our lives. But consider this. This is how they trusted in a full and loving and powerful sovereign God. They trusted because God had saved them through their son Jesus. They trusted, as they said, here, both in this city, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and all of Israel, they gathered together. They actually ha made happen what Psalm 2 proclaimed and prophesied. All of the nations gathered against the Messiah. But did that stop him? No. He rose from the grave and lives again. And he is bringing his kingdom to forbearance in, through all of his people. And they trusted, knowing in the same God who worked all of time through the history of Jesus Christ. First Peter, this might have been a snippet of his sermon at one point, but he said this, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. 
See, the believers knew that they had been saved by the working of God Himself. And today, if you are here and you don't know Christ, hear this. God has ordained and ordained and predestined Jesus to come, to be nailed to a cross, to take the wrath of sin that you deserve. And instead, He accepts you lovingly and forgiven if you have faith in His Son, Jesus. God has worked this out for you. Do you know Him? Do you trust His his work and sovereign power to save? The church did. And we must. And we must trust through our prayer and the plans of God. If we're to become a missional church, we must pray with fervor not to give up, not to give in, to persevere when it's harder and harder for Christians to proclaim and live the gospel. Will we pray for boldness in the plans of God, even when His plans include persecution and pain? Will we be bold for Christ, praying for God to use every bit of our lives? And it is when we are trusting in Him and trusting in His plans that we experience God the most and we, when we are part of His mission. Because number three, a prayer that is bold for the mission of God. If we experience the power of God in prayer, it is because we are boldly praying for the mission of God. Verse 29 concludes in this way. And now consider their threats and grant your slaves may speak the message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled and was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. You see, when they gathered together, they saw the Sanhedrin's declaration of war against Christianity. They did not seek to hide themselves from their position, but they calmly asked for the Lord of heaven to consider their threats. They did not ask for protection, they asked for power. They did not ask for fire from heaven to destroy their enemy, but for power from heaven to preach the word and heal the sick. This is a a contrasting prayer to our lives today. And we must seek this power, to seek the power of God. The emphasis was in their prayers on the hand of God on the church and not the hand of the church on on God Himself. He said, praying, God, make us bold. Is this how your prayer life is? Do you pray for opportunities to impact a life daily? Do you say, God, as we walk through, as I go about my business today, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. God, do, when, I, when you wake up, do you say, God, pray with me to cross paths with someone who needs the fellowship of a local body. God, help me to be bold today as I live my life. Are you praying for boldness? This is why we must pray. And number one on our list of the 2020 vision and challenge is to pray. Because we can challenge and pray and plan and, 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 and execute many different things. But if we don't have the power of God, it means nothing. It's part of our commitment to build relationships and share the gospel 
with someone a year so that they might be saved. Well, you need the prayer to do that. If you want to invite people to the church and have them be changed by the gospel, you need prayer to do that. If you want to give financially, if you want to serve faithfully, if you want to do any of those things absent from the power of prayer, it is worthless. So we must be praying. Are we asking for the power of God to be revealed in our lives? Are we inviting people to our church weekly? I got to experience this one time in Virginia. Sarah and I had been praying regularly for our neighbor across the street. He was going through a really tough time. He had been through a divorce. He was struggling. Uh, he, He was just really having a tough time. He had moved in to live in this house and rent it from his dad. So we'd been praying. We'd had some conversations and we've been praying daily. We've been praying weekly. We've been praying for God to do something in his life. I tried every opportunity to kind of engage a conversation, but I just knew prayer was where it's going to happen. And to my amazement, one Saturday afternoon, I was doing busy doing something, and I heard a knock at the door. I went to the door. To my surprise, it was David, my neighbor. He said, Sean, I don't know what it was. I'm struggling. I just knew that I needed to come talk to you. Could you help me with a few things? I mean, talk about the power and answer of prayer. I've been asking for God to give me opportunities to pray with him and to help him. And thankfully, God had him in church the next week, and God has been working in his life ever since. But it wasn't because I did anything special. Yes, I made myself available. Every time I saw him outside, I tried to start, start a conversation. We would talk sports. I, I, I invested in his life. But most importantly, I prayed for him. Because there was no other thing that was going to turn him to seek help but God himself. Are you praying in this way? Are we praying for boldness? Are you praying for boldness in the days and years to come to stand steady for the name of Jesus? Are you praying for boldness to proclaim whenever you have the opportunity? Well, we read later that the church continued to be bold. In Acts chapter 5, we read, But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. This is when they were threatening again. And they had beaten him once and beaten him again. We must obey God rather than men. And the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you have murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to the right hand of the ruler of Savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. What was the proclamation of the early church? God, give us boldness. And we will never stop speaking about Jesus' name. Will you plead with others on behalf of God? 
Will you pray because salvation is not up to your presentation, knowledge, or skill, but instead the power of God through the Holy Spirit? It's up to your obedience to share, but it is the power of God that saves, and prayer must be priority. Will you, as we become Great Commission Christians, make prayer vital in your life? In the 16th century, there were five young men who had studied in seminary in Switzerland, and they were changed forever by the teachings of Martin Luther and wanted to learn more, and so they were able to go close by to Geneva and study with John Calvin. But on their return to Lyon, France, in April of 1552, they were arrested and imprisoned. And during this time, they sent several letters for people to be encouraged to pray for them. And this is what they wrote. We are bold to say and affirm that we shall derive more profit in this school for our salvation than has ever been in the case of the place which we have studied. We testify that this persecution in prison is the true school of the children of God in which they learn more than the disciples of the philosophers ever did in their universities. Indeed, it must not be imagined that one can have true understanding of the passages of Scripture without being challenged to live their faith daily. It is true that one can have some knowledge of Scripture and can talk about it and discuss it a great deal, but it's like playing charades. We therefore praise God with all our heart and give Him undying thanks that He has been pleased to give us by His grace not only the theory of His Word but the practice of it and that He has granted us this honor which is no small thing for us who are vessels so poor and fragile and mere worms creeping on the earth. By bringing us to be His witnesses and giving us constancy to confess his name and maintain the truth of his holy word before those who are unwilling to hear it indeed who persecute it with all their force to us to say who previously were afraid to confess the truth even to a poor laborer who have who would have heard it eagerly then on may 16th 1553 all five were burned at the stake. That is boldness. That is the boldness that shakes the world. That is the prayer and the boldness that shakes heaven. It is the boldness and prayer for us to consider the dangers and threatening that Peter, John, the early church, and believers since have, have expressed. And it is no less real to you. Do you sense your weakness? Do you sense the prayer for courage? And pray for boldness for Jesus Christ. This morning as I'm about to give an invitation, if you don't know Christ, do you know that He loves you and sent His Son? That Jesus came and died for you. Trust in Him in faith and be changed. Do you need a church family to come alongside you to encourage you as it will be all the more hard to live your faith to to proclaim Jesus, to live by His Word, to be encouraged in the Gospel. Do you need a church family? In just a minute, I'm going to be extending an invitation, and we'd love to welcome you into our family of faith. Believers, are you praying with boldness and for boldness?
You're proclaiming for opportunities and praying for opportunities to share the gospel. Life groups, are you praying for boldness for one another? For opportunities for each other to share the faith and to proclaim the boldness of Jesus Christ. My prayer today is that we are never the same as we pray for boldness. Let us pray. God, we ask you this morning, as your brothers and sisters, that, Lord, we come together as your children. And we pray that if there is someone here that does not know you, God, that you would change them forever. That you would make them new. That you would put them forth with boldness. God, I pray that if if they need the constant encouragement of church, they would find it here. And that they would not forsake meaning as the Gentiles often do, your scripture says. God, I pray this morning that us as believers would pray with and for boldness to the throne of God, for the power of God, the presence of his people, and the power to save. We ask this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.